0: Let's pray. God help us. <laughs> oh, God, thank you for these two men that are up here that are they're dear friends of mine. Thank you for, for who they are and for their deep love of you and their devotion to you and for the gifts and skills and for the fun that they bring, Father. And thank you that I didn't have to come up with them <laughs> during this time, too. Father, thank you that, that you are here with us right now as you always are. May we be aware of that. May each person here be aware of it, even the one who's come, not even knowing if you exist. May they have some supernatural sense that you're with them now. And Father, may you speak into each life here, into each heart and each mind, exactly where one is at. Please take the words that you've given me, Father, and and shape them into exactly what each person will need to hear in their heart and their mind. And while it may be challenging, as you often are to us, may they understand that everything you bring is good. Everything you bring is good news. And so, Father, in the, what remains of the hour, then I trust that you're going to meet us in this and that you'll take this and use this. And then I pray that our, our hearts and minds are wide open to receive. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Fourth and fifth graders, I too, I am so glad you guys are with us today. You're going to be with us from, from time to time, uh, and then when you're in sixth grade, you'll be with us all the time, but I'm glad you're here with us today. I've been thinking about you guys this week, thinking back to my fourth and fifth grade years, and my fourth grade year was a year that one of my, one of my best, most enjoyable years of school, I felt like I belonged in fourth grade. But fifth grade was different. I, I didn't feel like I belonged. One of the hardest years of school for me. So I don't know what your years like, your fourth grade year or your fifth grade year. But all of us that are older than you, we've been in your shoes before. And, and we're glad that you're here with us. We're glad you're in the church to be learning about God, learning about Christ, and, and on this journey of faith with Him. And we're glad you're with us this morning. For all of you here, um, I graduated from Texas A&M. Okay, I got... I got four of you that listen to me from now on. The rest of you won't, but I got four of you on my side. Now you'll hear anything now. I graduated in 76 from a with a degree in petroleum engineering. It was a time that the oil business was booming, and uh, companies could not hire enough petroleum engineers, and so there were multiple offers for everyone that could just hang a, a diploma up. And uh, by the end of the year, when the school did their survey of starting salaries for all the different um, curriculums in school, Petroleum Engineering, far and above, had the highest starting salaries. And looking back, I, I'm so clear, it wasn't because we were smarter or better or more talented. had more, We just happened to be in the right place. We were just in the right place at the right time. So I went in, I, I took my job offer, and And I went in to meet my uh, boss for the first time before my starting day, and I've been thinking about life ahead. Uh, School had been hard. I'd worked hard in school, and I was thinking about how much I love outdoors and sports, and and I was thinking about this massive sum of money, more than I'd ever dreamed of having I was about to get, more than I could ever spend. And so I I asked him, I said, hey, is there any chance I could work uh, half time for half pay? (laughs) And now uh, looking back from the other side of the desk. I can imagine what he thought. He'd be thinking, is it too late to tear up the contract with this guy? I mean, what kind of lazy person did we get? But, but he was composed and he said, no, everyone here works full time. And so I said, well, like, what kind of hours do you work around here? He said, well, we get here about seven and then we stay until the work is all done. And I saw a glimmer of hope in that. <laughs> I said, so if I finished at noon, I can go home, right? <laughs> and then there was this long pause, and he said something to me. I think the words were very similar to these. Something to the effect, he said, I will make it my life mission that you will never finish the job. <laughs> I'll let you go home every night. You will never finish the job. But my mindset was there's this massive sum of money. It's more than I could ever spend. And so I begin the job. The paycheck comes. And all of a sudden, the money's going out so fast. Did you know they took taxes out first? They took out Social Security. I didn't know that. And then there was uh, health insurance I had to start paying for and car insurance and on and on. And, and I could barely make ends meet. There wasn't enough of it. And by the time the first raise came, it was a really nice raise, but by then I was engaged to Marie and I was saving for a honeymoon and there wasn't enough of it. By the time we got married, there's another big raise, but by that time we had to get a bigger apartment, we thought. And Marie was still in college. We had to pay for college. We had to get a second car because we were both commuting. Uh, on and on and on. You know the old adage, two can live as cheap as one? Ain't true. Not true. There just wasn't enough. And as the years kept unfolding, there kept, I kept getting more and more and more raises, but we bought the first house, and then we went on more expensive vacations because everybody else was, and then we had to have a bigger house and we had our first child. And, and eight years in, I was making several times as much money as I made in that starting salary that I thought was more than I could ever spend, and, and there was never enough money. Have you been there? Are you there right now where no matter how much you make, there's never enough of it? And you add to that the sense that both Marie and I had, we were both raised in the church, and more so in my church than hers, we were raised with this uh, Understanding from God that one should tithe, one should give 10% of their income to Him. And uh, as a kid, I did that. I worked summer jobs, didn't make much money. I did that easy when you don't make much to give a little. And, and so when I started work, I just assumed, well, I'll just do that. And, and yet there was never enough. And as these eight years unfolded, no matter how much we made, it seemed like we gave about 2%. And, and if you were to ask us at any point along the way, we would have said, oh, yeah, we we're going to do it. We want to. And honestly, at the time, we were, like, we were just really good church people. We thought you go to church on Sunday, you're in a small group, and you try to read the Scripture if you can, and, and, and you give a tithe and everything, and, and yet we were never there. We, there was just never enough. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Eight years in, October of 1984, there was a seismic shift in our lives. Within seven days of each other, Marie and I both trusted our lives to Christ. We we gave leadership to Him, and everything began to change. And all of the times through all of those years of my life, that I thought, well, a person ought to read the Bible, a person ought to pray. I started doing that at least two dozen times. Sometimes it would last a week, and sometimes two weeks, and maybe as long as a month. But it always just faded. it it just, it's just a drudgery doing it. But now, I mean, now honestly trusting Jesus. I, I began that in the mornings and, and I, for the first time I had this sense of reality that, that I had like this spot with the God of the universe. I was in his presence. He had my full focus the rest of the day, I, my focus would get all scared, but I had this full focus, and, and I began to read what he wrote in Scripture, and it seemed to be gripping me, and that was just that just became the norm, and I'm, I'm a, a few months into that, and I'm sitting there in the early morning hours in our living room, and for the first time, I felt God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was this very clear sense that he was speaking to me, and he was asking me a question. He said, do you trust me? I thought about that, and it's a no-brainer. I said, of course. Man, I do. Why would I not? I trust you with abandon. And then it felt clearly he spoke a second time, and he said, then I want you to tithe. (laughs) And, And my response was, wait, that isn't what you said. That's not what you asked me. That was my honest response. That's not what you asked me. You asked me if I trusted you. Yeah, I'm good with that. Now you said tithe. There's a disconnect. But there was this silence, he just quit talking to me. And so I, I'm i sitting there thinking it out. I'm saying, I, I trust him. And then I was beginning to make the connect that if I trust him, I will do what he says. If I trust him, I'll do what he, he says, even if it's costly. And, and I was processing that, and I wasn't many months away from really understanding his love and power and grace for me my wife, Marie. And sitting there in my chair, I said, yes, we will. I know what it means, but absolutely. We trust you we will tithe. So I was all excited. So I went and woke up Marie in the early morning hours. And, and I said, honey, God spoke to me. It's the first time that ever happened. And so she sat up all excited. And she said, what did he say? And I said, God said he wants us to tithe. And I've never forgotten her words. Her, the expression on her face totally changed. And she said, Well, he hasn't told me that. And he lay, she laid back down with this finality. Like, subject is done. It's over. Like, you're hearing voices. I haven't heard any voices. It's all over. And so I went off to work and I was distracted all day. And I kept thinking, But honey, I, we trust him, right? And obviously, so I came home for supper and I started a conversation. I'll say that in church a conversation. I say, I started an argument. I was going to talk her through the logic of this. You know, I had this engineering degree. She had a bunch of math, but she wasn't doing the equation. And it got really bad. And we both were entrenched in our positions. And there was a second night and there was a third night. After the third night, I felt God speak again. I felt him say, don't rock your marriage over this, Rick. (laughs) I know your heart. Let me tell your wife. And I took him at his word, because me telling Marie what to do has never worked i 'm not sure it had never the first eight years hadn 't worked i 'm not sure why I thought it'd worked then and so I took him at his word, and I, I bit my tongue and, and I just waited and There was a time into it that Marie was meeting with her spiritual mentor in the church and and I didn't do it, but tithing came up, and her mentor spoke into her life, and then she was in a small group, and there was a Bible study for women going on, and tithing came up, and I didn't have anything to do with it, and, that, and so we began, after some months, to just bring up the subject, and each time I felt God say, just listen, hey, don't mess this up, <laughs> just listen, and then the night came that she said, you know, I've been thinking and wrestling about this. And God, ha- God has told me he wants us to tithe, and I do trust him, and you trust him, so let's do it. So we had this excitement, and we sat down that night to figure this out, and then we had the excitement turned to, to uh, confusion and uh, discouragement because we looked at our money, and we should have known this just by intuition, but we looked at our money, and it was all committed. There was almost no discretionary money there. It was all tied down, so we had this massive house payment. We had car payments. We had MasterCard bills, on and on and on. It was virtually all committed, and, and after we spent time wrestled, and prayed, the only way we saw that we could begin to tithe right then was to sell the house. We honestly said to God, if, if you want us to sell it, show us. But my company at that time moved us really often and as we were thinking it out and praying it out, God seemed to be in some logic of saying, if you, if you sell it now and buy another one, you're about to get moved. And you have to sell that one buy another one. You lose a lot of money. And so we, we worked this out, and we felt God's peace in it. We thought, well, this is the only way we see this coming down, is I know I'm going to get a raise in three months. I was just in this Fortune 500 company, mean, policies, they're locked down. You live by the policy. There's a raise coming in three months. And so we said to God. With that next raise, we'll give you all of the raise and whatever else it takes, and we'll begin to tithe. And we felt God's peace in that. A couple of days later, I was at the office, and my boss called me in, and he said, "Um, hey, I'm about to tell you something that I've never done, never known to happen, but we're going to give you a raise now three months early. Now, looking back with hindsight, I was with the company for 15 years. I was in management 10 of those years, and I was over tons and tons of raises. And this was the only time that I ever knew my company to break the policy. So he says, we're going to give you a raise right now, and, and here's your raise and so forth. And so I went home and told Maria, I said, we, we don't have to wait three months. And so in a couple of weeks, the uh, raise shows up in a paycheck, and the next Sunday we write a check that's a tithe for the first time. And, and there was this joy in it. There was sense of, this sense of just peace, like, yeah, this is, what, this is what it looks like in terms of money to trust God. But the story wasn't over because two days later, I, I'm in the office, and my boss calls me in again, and he says, we're going to give you a bonus. And if you, if you knew the circumstances of, of the year and of my division and of my bonus performance history, then you would realize that the chances of me getting a bonus were virtually nil, virtually zero. And he's sitting there telling me we're going to give you a bonus, and then he tells me the amount of it. and and I hear the amount, and something flicks in my brain. This thought occurs to me, that's about the amount that we would have tithed if we'd begun way back in the beginning, that very first morning when God spoke, and I said, yes. And and I'm thinking, and I'm all tied up in that, and my boss is talking and talking. I'm not even listening, and saying something about, you ought to take a big cruise. And he says, how are you going to spend it? Without thinking, I blurted out, we're going to give it all back to God. And then I thought, that's not what you do in a Fortune 500 company. You're not supposed to do that. You know, that that's, not, that's not career advancement kind of stuff. I said, we're going to give it all back to God. But just a side note, it would be just a few months later that, that this boss of mine would come to radically trust Jesus as well. So I went home that night, and I said to Marie, you won't believe this, but, but I got a bonus. And I actually had done the math after he gave it to me. And I said, This is the exact sum of money we would have tithed if we'd begun that very first morning back long ago. And she said, Then let's give it all to God. But let's do it right now so we won't change our mind. And so in that moment we did. And then there was this massive surprise. We had always thought, and maybe you have too, or maybe you once thought this, we'd always thought this would be like pulling teeth. Like, this is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. We're going to regret it. But this is what faith does. We were blown away by joy. I mean, literally, writing that check gave more joy than any other expenditure we'd ever made in our lives. Totally blown away. And I couldn't have told you that Acts 20, verse 35, says it quotes Jesus. And he says, you're more blessed to give than to receive. And the term blessed means you're more filled with joy to give than to receive. I didn't know that scripture, but that's what we experienced. And now, all these years later, the same has been true. Every single bit of outflow we've had giving to God's cause has brought the greatest joy of any expenditure we've ever made. It's been true. And there was a passage that helped us make the choice to trust God in it. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes and he says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This is a promise from God. He said, I, I'll meet all your needs. Trust me, follow me, follow my, my, my lead, and I will meet all of your needs. And we believe that. We believe that. And you know those first eight years of my career when there was never enough? Ever since that day, ever since that day, there's always been enough. And my income has radically changed in the years, and it's gone down, not up. There's always been enough. Now, there's some changes that have happened from, from that uh, very first beginning of tithing. We did move a lot. And the next three moves, we intentionally, we chose to downsize substantially the next three houses we moved into. Today, we drive, a, we drive really old cars. There have been some changes. But we've always had enough. And yet it seemed we never did before that. I don't know where you're at Today is going to be, for you, either affirming or are stirring or hope-filled or challenging. But, but if, if there's a struggle around this for you, then you need to know that the struggle of biblical giving comes down to trust. The struggle of biblical giving comes down to trust. And the next sentence I'm going to tell you is really substantial. It's really important for you to, to understand and wrestle with. I would encourage you, the next sentence I give you, write it down or take out your phone and take a picture of the slide and wrestle with this because this is what I want to tell you. The only way that you know that you trust in Jesus is that you follow him when it's costly. The only way that you know that you trust Jesus is that you follow him when it's costly. If you're only following him when it, it just makes sense to you and, hey, good idea, I want to do it, I'll do it. If he says to you, hey, I want you to work diligently and you think, hey, I think it's a good idea. I get ahead, I'll do it. That, that, you don't know if, if you're doing that out of trust. If he says to you, uh, be more gentle with your spouse and you're thinking, yeah, that would sure help, I'm going to do that. You don't know if, if you're radically trusting him any more than you would trust a live coach that told you that the only way you really know, you know, God always knows whether there's authentic trust. or not. The only way you know is is if you follow him when it's costly. If God says to you, there's someone in your life that has done so much damage to you. And he says, now I want you to forgive that person. And you're thinking, it's going to rip me apart all over again. But because you say so, I will. It's going to cost me. I'll do it anyway. Then there's this data point that says, I really do trust him. If God says, I want you to reconcile with someone, and that person has ripped you to shreds over and over again, and you want, you want to be in the same state with them, and God says, reconcile, and you say to him, I will do it only because you say so. I may get hurt all over again, but you do it because he says so. There's this data point for you going, to, I do. I really trust Jesus. The only reason I'm doing this is because Jesus says so. Fourth and fifth graders. If, if Jesus is prompting you and saying, I want you to tell your friend at school about me, I want you to tell your friend at school about me, Jesus, and you're thinking that person is going to think I'm crazy, the person is going to make fun of me, that person won't be my friend anymore, the person is going to gossip about me, and you decide to do it anyway, that's what it looks like to truly trust Jesus. You're going to do something only because he says so. It's going to cost you. You'll do it anyway. It's that way around money. It's that way around money. It's something that that we would do. It's going to cost us. We would do only because he says so. So, is Jesus asking you today if you trust him? Is he asking you now, do you trust him? And if he is, what would you answer? Would you say yes? Or would you say no? If you say yes, then, then would you... Would you be able to walk through with me what he says about money and process this with me? And I want to talk. I want to teach. This is biblically about money. But I want to give you a resource to use beyond the morning as well. There's a book, brand new book, called The Money Challenge, 30 Days of Discovering God's Design for You and Your Money by Art Reiner. It's an excellent book. It's It's a short book. It's easy to read, very biblical. In fact, I can't help but think about Craig McAndrews two weeks ago was teaching, and he has a new book out. If you were here, Craig held up his book and said, man, it's not even a whole book, it's half a book. Well, compared to Craig's, this is a quarter of a book. Like It's, it's small, it's short, it's clear, but it's, it's really sound biblical stuff. It covers the entire spectrum of money. It talks about what God says about saving, about spending and about giving, so I would I would highly recommend this. There's some copies in the lobby on the way back. Uh, you can find local Christian stores, online, and so forth. So I'm going to be using this as a reference. So so these are God's instructions for giving. The first is this: is giving to be a giving is to be a priority. Giving is to be a priority. Proverbs three nine says, "Honor the Lord from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce. From the first of all your produce." It means. He's telling us to give out of the the very first of the income we receive. When the check comes in, he's saying, make giving the very first part of it. And and I understand why he's doing that. Marie and I had lived the opposite of that for those first eight years. We always had this intention to give, like he said, but our giving to him was at the very tail end. It was never there. It's never left. And so he's saying, here, there's going to be this piece of trust I'm going to ask of you when you get some income, whatever it is, whatever it is, give from the first of that. And then make what's left, let it make do with your needs. I'll make sure it meets your needs. And, and it's intriguing. He says this. He says, give of the very first of any income you receive. He says it without any limitations on how much or little it is. If you're tempted to think, oh, but you don't know how little I make. God knows. He doesn't put any limit on that. He doesn't say, hey, if you, if you make less than 25000 hey, you're off the hook. Yeah, he says every, every single bit of it. I, if I could give you some perspective, too. Um, Seven billion people on the planet, and uh, God loves all of them. He would teach all of them about his son Jesus and about all of this as well. And uh, if you were to take the, the 2% of the people on the planet that are the richest people, those people make $25,000 a year or more, which means in the term, terms of worldly perspective, there are a bunch of rich people in this room right now. But even if you weren't, he says, give from the very first Give from the very first. Giving is to be a priority. Are you doing this? Or will you do this now that you've heard it? Second, giving is to be done proportionally. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes, which is 10%, all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And then if you're tempted to think, well, that's Old Testament teaching, then Jesus picks it up in Matthew 23, 23. He's with some people that are very religious people, and they actually, they are tithing 10% of their income they are given to God, but they are ignoring justice and mercy. And Jesus speaks to them, and he says, first, he says, yes, you should tithe. He's affirming it's tithe is not just Old Testament. It is tithe is for all time. Yes, you should tithe. Then he goes on and says, but, but do justice and have mercy. Yes, you should tithe. And so to give proportionally means to give, give 10% of your gross income to God's cause. It's as simple as that. Give 10% of your gross income to God's cause. Are you doing this? Or will you do this? Or do you find yourself in the financial position that Marie and I were in? You're sitting there thinking, I want to give that serious consideration. Or I want to do it, but then what will your plan be? What will the plan be to get there? For Marie and me, it was so uh, when the raise comes and when that happens, we're going to jump off the deep end. In this book, the Money Challenge, Rayner actually has something that he calls uh, the takeoff plan. It's for someone. It's giving absolutely nothing right now, and his plan is to start with one percent in the first month, and then to make progressive changes until you're tithing. Then, but so if if you're drawn, you're thinking, man, I. I love God with abandon. I trust Him with all that I am. I'm hearing this fresh now. I want to do this, but I don't think I can right now. Then, then, what will your plan be? What will that plan be to get you there? Third, he says, giving is to be done sacrificially. Second Samuel twenty four twenty four says, "I will not present burnt, burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. I will not give to God stuff I don't even miss." So the question to ask is, is once you begin to, to give a tithe, is to ask God, what does sacrificial look like? For Marie and me in those early seasons of tithe, a tithe was a sacrifice. A, a tithe was. What is a sacrifice? And you have to ask from season to season, God, what does a sacrifice look like to me? And through the years, in fact, for the last many, many years, although we have less than we had then, God has said, what sacrifice looks like to you it's is more than a tithe. It's been for years more than a tithe. I will not give that which has cost me nothing. And for Marie and me, what that most tangibly looks like is this. Uh, by the end of this year, Marie's car will be 20 years old, which I tell her then it's vintage. Like then the value goes up. Hey, you become really cool if it's more than 20 years old, and you're almost on the verge, honey, and she's not buying that. Her car is almost 20 years old, and my car is 232,000 miles on it. We haven't bought another car because we don't have savings to do it. We're good with that. But in 20 years at the harbor, we've given enough to God's cause to have bought an entire fleet of new cars. We give it joyfully, joyfully. I've never had a car that ran this long. I think it's running this long because God's saying, you're in the middle of my will. It may crash tomorrow, crash and burn tomorrow. But, And I'm not saying that that's a model for any of you, but the model... The instruction, the command to someone who trusts him it says, I want you to not to give that which costs you nothing, is to from season to season ask him, what, is, what does the sacrifice look like now? What does it look like for you now? Not for me, what does it look like for you now? Are you doing this? Will you do this? And then the fourth and final one is this, is giving is to be done cheerfully. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, you must decide with your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. When you give, are you giving cheerfully? Or will you give cheerfully? In Malachi three ten, there are two things in that that give you reason to be able to give, to give cheerfully. The first is this. I'll read the whole verse to you. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That first sentence, he says, bring, bring your tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. And the, the modern day correlation is to bring your tithe to the local church so there'll be enough resources in the local church to do the work that God wants to do. And so when you and I do that, we have a Sunday like baptism Sunday coming up, and if if you and I have been giving to God's cause here, and we see each person being baptized, then there can be this very real reality that stirs us, is that that God used us in some small way. He took my pennies, he took my dollars, took your pennies and dollars, and he changed the life by that. I don't know about you, but That'll be part of my joy next week. We have fourth and fifth graders with us right now. And, and there's this full-blown ministry for you, fourth and fifth graders right now, that's down the hall. And we have that full-blown ministry for you, for you to, to help you come to know and follow Jesus with abandon, because there are people in this place to give money, and it's resource for you. I think about children's ministry also. Last week we had child dedication. And both Sundays, we couldn't even get people on the stage. There were so many. We filled the front of this uh, beneath the stage, both services. There were so many families and children. As I watched them, I listened to Kathy McElveen, who leads our children's ministry speak. I thought, that's because you give. That's because Marie and I give. We have that there. Students, we have a couple of students on stage leading us in worship today. And you know why they're there? One big reason is because it, that you and I have given some money, and there's a ministry here that's reached out to them and helped draw them to Christ and helped them find their gifts, help develop their gifts, and recognize that, put them on stage to lead us. And they're up here leading us, and it's partly because of you and me, because of the pennies and dollars that we gave. I've watched this single adult ministry. There's been this little emergence of impact in single adults, and I, I see some plans emerging before the year is over to reach more and more single adults and more and more effectively. I look at marriages in this church, and I see them, many of them being healed and made strong through infusion, Through things like Blended and Blessed we had just last weekend for blended families. I see now small groups forming around around blended families just to grow in that area. I see marriages. And those are all happening because you and I give our pennies and dollars to it. I see addictions being broken. Why? But the core behind that is because people, you and I, we're bringing bringing food into the storehouse of God. The resources, the local church. Steve and Laura Martin are are with us today along with their children. They've been in China for many years now. Steve is a medical doctor. He could have made a ton of money in the States, but they've been there for several years, and and he takes the ministries in. he takes children that have been abandoned because they are so sick or so um, physically broken, they probably won't survive, and they're abandoned. And so he takes them in, and he tries to, to restore them to health. And many of them, he's successful with God's help. And then there's a whole process of helping them find good, healthy homes into adoption as well. But the ones that he can't help into health, he realizes that by him and the others there, that, that this, this little child is so loved upon to the last breath. And, and one reason they're in China is because of you and me, because we give our pennies and dollars. That's one reason they're in China. Man, I just look at my list and my heart bursts with joy. I'm a little part of that. There's a second reason that I can give cheerfully as well out of that passage. It says, if you do this, God says, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The verses that follow are about material blessings, about crops and so forth. And often in the Old Testament, that's how God showed his blessings. And sometimes today he does as well. When I told you how Marie and I first began to tithe, there, was, there were monetary blessings, weren't there? A raise came early and a bonus that shouldn't happen happened. There were monetary. And sometimes God blesses that way. But sometimes the blessings are of much greater value than money. Sometimes when we give as, just obediently to God, the way he says, sometimes we don't get any blessings back in money. We get something much, much bigger than that. Marie and I have come to know and love Mark and Sarah Hale so very much. Mark is our worship leader. Sarah is a gifted worship leader. You see her on stage often as well. Got to love them deeply very, very much. And been around Mark, and this profound gift of faith The New Testament talks about people who have a gift of faith, and it means people whose faith is so strong, it just can't be rocked. No matter what happens, no matter how many difficulties come, no matter how many prayers are not answered, their faith just can't be rocked. And I've seen that mark for a long time. So I asked him once, I said, Where did that come from? Where did that start? That's supernatural. And we've recorded his answer on video. Take a look at this.
1: Ever since I was young, I was taught the importance of tithing. I didn't fully understand it as a kid. You know, tithing my birthday money and little jobs I had on the side. I did it because I was told to. And then as I became an adult, you know, you make a little bit more money and the tithe gets a little larger. But I knew I was supposed to. It was always impressed upon me that I was supposed to. I'd always heard these stories of people struggling financially, and there's a choice between their rent or their tithe. And they decided to remain faithful and give their tithe, and somehow, miraculously, a check showed up on their doorstep for the exact amount that they needed for their rent. And that is a beautiful story of God's grace, but that was not my story. I was in an instance where I had to pick my tithe or my rent. And I picked my tithe because I felt like the Lord was calling me to, and my rent didn't get paid. A miraculous check did not show up on my doorstep. um, And I went in a lot of debt trying to pay things off, pay my rent. But I think what was important for me to learn in that moment, money was not what I needed at that moment. God used that moment of being faithful in tithing to build a spiritual gift of faith in my life that I was gonna need through one of the toughest seasons of my life God supplies for all I need for me it was for faith that God would build that and impress that upon my life to get me through um, some very difficult things to get through divorce and transition and moving to places I never thought I would move including Friendswood, Texas I know this because I've experienced it And I want nothing more than other people to experience the joy of what God can do in your life when you sacrificially give of your time, of your money, of yourself. God built a gift in me for faith to trust in Him in everything that I say and do. And I I think that began years ago with trusting God to tithe even when the rent wasn't paid. So tithing comes down to being a heart issue and trusting God with our money, um, trusting God with our life, surrendering it all to Him. And He always, um, always will be faithful to us in return.
0: So that day, years back, Mark was sitting there with this dilemma of, do I trust God and be obedient around money? And he chose to be obedient, and then God didn't do the, like the logical blessing, which would have been to give Him the rent. Instead, God supernaturally gave him this faith that would withstand anything. And indeed, the hard times have come, and maybe they're not done yet. He and Sarah have been through some really hard times. And, and I've, I've sat with Mark through a bunch of it, and his faith has never wavered for a moment. It's the blessing God gave when he was just faithful around this thing called, called giving. So if God asks you right where you're at, if he says, do you trust me? How would you answer him? If you would say, No, I don't, then I would say, Please don't give up on him yet. You need to explore who this God is. You need to see what he's done. You need to see what he's doing. You need to discover the reality is that he knows your name. The reality is that that Christ died on a cross with you in mind and died for all your sins, he's risen from the dead. He's waiting for you to begin to trust him, and he will forgive all your sins. Give him, he'll give you a brand new life. He'll give you heaven one day, all of that. Don't leave it as, do you trust me and no. Don't leave it there. And maybe even now you'll be ready to say yes to him before the service is done. Maybe not. If, if you're not ready to service, then you need to pursue this God who is so great and so loving and so powerful and so good. But if he asks you the question, do you trust me, and you say yes. Then I would ask you, then, are you, are you giving as he teaches us and commands us to give? Are you giving with giving as a priority? Do you give out of the first of what you get? Are you giving proportionally, which begins with the tithe? Or if you're not, then, then will you commit before him to a plan that honors him? Are you giving sacrificially? I, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. And are you giving cheerfully? And I know uh, I, there's a part of me that has been excited about this day. It's not because I'm a masochist or sadist or whichever one likes to see people suffer. It's not because of that. But I'm excited, especially for those of you that, that might be uncomfortable. Because if you don't run from the discomfort, if you, if you run toward God and say, are you really trustworthy? Will you really meet my needs? And you run toward him and you hang on to this comfort and, and reach a point and say, now I will, I will trust you. I will do this. I know your life is going to be so much richer. I know that. And every time I've taught on this, we've had people whose lives get changed by God in that. So I'm excited about this. And, and so if you're uncomfortable, I, I'm thanking God that you're here and you're in the discomfort. I'm thanking you haven't walked out on it. Wrestle with this. Wrestle with what you've heard. Wrestle with what I said. The only way you know that you trust in Jesus is that you follow him when it's costly. Otherwise, hey, a good life coach, you may have as much trust in a good life coach if you follow him when it's costly. Philippians 4.19, he says, I will meet all of your needs. He's good for that. He's good for that. He asked, do you trust me? And if so... Will you give as I direct, so let me invite you to all stand for me to pray us through this, pray us out of this, and, and leave this with you to either to go celebrate what 's already happened, celebrate what you 've already learned and lean into and many of you are at that point, many of you are going to leave here and thinking everything that Rick Baldwin said by the grace of god it 's true, but you 're going to say i 'm living it right now uh, but but some of you uh, you got some like some fresh response to God. asked. So let me pray for all of us in this. Father in heaven, I do believe you met each of us where we're at. And however it feels in each person's heart and mind, I know you met us in stunning love and stunning grace. And I pray that each one here will know that will know the things that they've heard and they're all biblical, will know that you bring that to them with this grace and love and you're for them and you're good to them, that each one will know that. And I pray that wherever we are, wherever I am in terms of trust, wherever each one here is in terms of trust, grow us to even more trust. And this area of giving, Father, it's, it's, it's ripe for growth. It's rich for growth. May may that faith reach into this area of money and giving. And may people be blown away by your goodness in it. And may you take those resources to touch even more lives. Father, I pray this with as we're about to leave, about to go out into the day. I pray this with a lot of thanks. I pray this for, with thanks for each one that's here, Father, that you saw they were here. Especially fourth and fifth graders. Especially those that have heard this message and have said, Yeah, I get it. I'm living it, especially those, Father, that aren't there yet. Thank you you brought us all here. Now we go out in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you.